It's time for episode 504 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, May 24th, 2023. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast where the hosts aren't currently AI-generated voices. I am one of those non-AI-generated voices, Micah Sargent, and I am joined across the internet by my good pal, my friend, my dungeon buddy, because we play Dungeons & Dragons online together, it's Dan Morin. How you doing, non-AI-generated Dan? Well, well, Micah, I am just fine and totally human. Thank you for asking. You're so welcome, Dan. Oh, dear. I'm taking the jobs back from the AI. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, that's how you have to do it. You're right. We have to sort of slightly become robotic and then we'll get the jobs instead. Um, while we ponder that terrible, terrible future, let's introduce our awesome guests. To my left, it is video host and producer at CNET, as well as an all around awesome individual. It's Abrar Alhiti. Welcome to your first episode, Abrar. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We're delighted to have you. And to my left this week, welcome back the Emojipedia founder, the man about town, uh, sometimes to be found on boats. It's Jeremy Burge. Welcome back, Jeremy. Hey, Dan. I feel like this, I'm going to say it now, going to be the best episode of Clockwise ever. I just feel uh, it in my bones. Uh, you've, you've laid Ooh. out an impressive task for us there, so let's clear oh. that bar. Let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. All right. We'll kick things off with my topic. You know, we've only got 30 minutes and four to get through. So uh, I would like to know, Waymo just announced a partnership with Uber to bring driverless taxis to more people. So you could essentially hail a Waymo driverless vehicle uh, through Uber. Would you take a driverless taxi? Why or why not? Abrar, we'll start with you. So I actually did recently. Uh, I hopped into Waymo a couple weeks ago and was surprised at how normal it felt and how like in control it was. You know, like it felt like it knew what it was doing. This was in San Francisco. So that's really saying something because these streets are a little wild. Uh, but I honestly think that this, I mean, there's a lot of things to think about here in terms of, you know, replacing drivers and what happens then. But if we're just talking about the driverless taxi, it felt a lot more safe and comfortable than I expected. And I think there is a benefit to not having to speak to somebody all the time and not <laughs> having to worry about like who you're in the car with. Um, so I'm actually very eager to see what happens with this. And the fact that you can just, you know, call this, um, you know, through something like an Uber, I think is really going to change the game here. I just I'm so wary of automatic taxis or automatic driving cars. Part of that is I live in Boston. I feel that I would die. <laughs> I'm just very scared of how everybody else on the road drives at this point and and then worried of the capabilities of an automated uh, self-driving car to keep up with that and avoid some of the truly bananas things that people do on the streets around here. Like you haven't lived until you've like stopped at a red light and somebody takes a left turn on the red light from the right lane. Oh, golly. And I just feel like I don't know what's happening at any given moment. And I'm so trained to be defensive in all of my driving that I'm just I'm curious to know if a self-driving car can handle that but not curious enough to put my life on the line is I think where <laughs> I'm going with that one so I've been very skeptical about it in in consumer cars I understand the appeal of it in the sort of uh, ride hailing department and I think there are some advantages there but when sort of the rubber hits the road I'm I'm very skeptical of it in a lot of environments and where it hasn't been tested more thoroughly Jeremy what about you 
uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm sort of the same as you, Dan, with the the number of times I've been in yeah dicey ish situations in a taxi already. At least I could tell the taxi driver. It's you know it's really awkward when they're driving badly, like when they're overtaking bikes too close and stuff. And you're like, you don't know whether you should say something because you know you're on the roads. Uh, you can't tell the the automatic car that you can't can't do anything. You just sit there and look embarrassed and be like, "Sorry, everybody, <laughs> sorry about my driver." Um, about so my yeah, driver. I don't know. I'm 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 in in theory, yes. Uh, I'd want to see how good they are day to day, and yeah, I'm all for everybody else testing them out a lot more before I get on board. <laughs> I'd love it if they dropped these in New York and let New York City specifically and let them drive around there for a little bit. And if they cleared that bar, then I think I would feel incredibly comfortable. In any case, I think that in San Francisco and in areas nearby, I would have no trouble, no problem uh, hopping in one of these. And then I also like the idea of something that is truly, fully, 100% focused on just doing the best driving that it can do. It's not a person who's also thinking about the fact that they may have left the stove on at home. You know what I mean? Like, there's no, no distraction. All right. <laughs> I thank you all for your answers on that topic. I'm going to focus on my uh, own issues here while we move on to our next topic. <laughs> which comes from a bra. So the U.S. Surgeon General just released this advisory saying that social media is taking a significant toll on kids and teens' mental health and that this should immediately be addressed. And this is not really a new topic. We've been discussing the impact of social media, not just on you know everybody, but specifically on, on younger people. So I want to know, do you think there should be stricter age limits on social media use? And if so, do you think companies would really be able to enforce that? For the first question, yes, I I do think that there's a lot of value in the way that we control access to social media. There's already you know uh, limits in terms of uh, how old uh, you know usually users are supposed to be on on many online services, right? Because you have the issue of minors using online services, and at what age can you consent to those kinds of things? Um, but uh, beyond that, obviously, the the problems that we've seen um, amongst especially teenage populations with social media, I think, does bear some closer scrutiny. Now, all of that said. I, the second part of this question is the one that I'm much more skeptical about. Will companies be able to enforce that? I'm guessing not really. I mean, the challenge is how do you enforce that, right? Most minors don't even have an ID to provide to prove their age, much less like are companies asking for that in the first place and what kind of troubles that that raises as well if you have companies collecting IDs from people and checking them for validity. Like that's a whole separate process. It's a lot more expensive. It's more difficult to ascertain. And again, we get into privacy issues. Um, all of that is a huge challenge to overcome. So the best most of these places can do is kind of, you know, offer up like a checkbox or something where you, you say, I, I certify that I'm above this age or here's my birth date. I entered it right. Like, and then kind of declaim any responsibility whatsoever uh, if it turns out that there are uh, people underage using that service. Plus, as we all know, especially those of us who were tech-savvy teens once upon a time, uh, it's often easy to circumvent these things and a lot of the burden relies on parents. Now, that doesn't mean that it should entirely rely on parents. And I think that's one of the issues that we've run into here is that there does need to be buy-in from other parts of the community in order to help parents 
get this job done. If parents are sort of the the you know biggest line of defense, putting all of that on them is a lot, especially on top of all the other things they have to deal with. So I I do think it's good to see some other agencies like the government uh, playing a part in this, but I'm skeptical as to how effective it will be. Jeremy, what about you? The two big issues with uh, social media in general, but for teens in particular, you've got the the public side of it. What what is going public um, insofar as privacy and who's looking at that content? And obviously, I think that's pretty important. The other half, which is equally important, even potentially more important, but much harder to look out for, is the the group chat. Right? It's the bullying for teenagers. It's the perpetual they go home from school, and if there's a group chat. There's things going about them around the neighborhood or in their groups, and that's not really social media and probably could be as or more damaging as anything posted on the the public-facing apps, you know, that if people are saying things about them in a group chat, that's a much harder area to regulate at all, right? That's just sort of conversational tools and barely touching on uh, social media. And Snapchat bridges the gap quite easily. A lot of teens use it for direct messaging, but also public. So yeah, it, it's it would be a big mess to to sort out. Hopefully there are smarter people in the room than I am when it comes to this sort of thing. But I absolutely, I do feel sympathetic that I think it must be much tougher being at school today where the, the blurry line is a lot blurrier between school and online, at least when I was younger. There was online, but it was still limited to, you know, MSN Messenger with your friends and uh, talking to strangers that you shouldn't be on ICQ. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Those are you know, days. simpler times, simpler times. Simpler times. With the Surgeon General's sort of advisory, it has a bunch of research uh, tied into it, looking at the impact of social media and actually having some data there. I hope we continue to look at the data, that we continue to do research before any sort of regulation comes through. Unfortunately, that's not really how things work. Um, but we are just now getting to the generation that is the generation that quite literally was born and had a tablet in their hands uh, shortly afterwards. So it's it's still in process to see what the impact is. And I think it's going to take that context to know for sure. As far as companies really being able to enforce it in the short term, I don't think so, because anyone can just say what age they are, change their birth date, as many of us did, I'm sure, on different sites. I remember on Facebook, I was much older than I actually was when I first joined. Brar, tell us about your thoughts to round out this topic. I kind of wonder and I kind of worry that we're in so deep at this point because social media is really just so, such a, you know, such a central part of our lives right now that I feel like to kind of go back and say, you know, we're, we're going to ban people of a certain age from joining this this uh, this app, regardless of the feasibility of that. I feel like it'd be a lot harder to convince um, teenagers to to be like, okay, sure, because um, they'll they'll find a way around it. But um, I think the most that companies can really do is like things like TikTok has done, where anyone under the age of sixteen, their account is private by default. And again, people could lie about their ages, but but you know, little itty bitty measures like that, where it's like, you're, you know, that people are going to be on this app. And, uh, you know, what can you do to kind of mitigate the risk here? And and that doesn't that doesn't account for the mental health issues that, you know, are, are still possible based on the content they consume. But um, I think that's really the most companies 
can or will do at this point. Um, I mean, I, I think back to when Instagram wanted to launch Instagram for kids and everyone was like, are you kidding me? Like, why would we, why would there be a platform specifically for children? Has there not been enough damage? So I think, you know, these platforms are always looking for ways to grow. Um, and that's always going to be their priority. And uh, kids are always going to want to be where their friends are. And so I think it's going to be uh, really hard uh, to really deal with this issue. But I, I agree with with you, Micah, and that I'm glad that that's something that people are looking into and that there's research being done on. Let us take a quick break so I can tell you about a new sponsor here on Clockwise. It's Sofa. When you hear about a great new TV show, a book, a podcast, what do you typically do? Do you scribble it down in your notes, maybe in your to-do app? Do you message yourself? In any case, honestly, you're likely to forget about it and instead feel stuck not knowing what you want to watch, what you want to listen to, what you want to play next. Well, now is the time to upgrade that experience with Sofa. Just throw that suggestion into Sofa. With the Sofa app, you can create lists of almost anything. Podcasts, apps, books, board games, movies, TV shows, music albums, video games. You can use all of these lists to decide your next book to read, your next movie to watch, your next video game to play. See, Sofa's design is inspired by some of the best productivity apps, but it's focused on helping you to be more intentional with your downtime. With Sofa, you can create unlimited lists, sync your data with iCloud, track your activity, and do even more, all completely for free. But if you want more power, unlimited power, well, upgrade to Super Sofa to customize lists with cover images and descriptions, add sticky notes to items, personalize the look and feel with more than a hundred themes, plus a whole lot more. It's available for iPhone. It's available for iPad. It's also available for Macs that use uh, an Apple Silicon chip. And Clockwise listeners, you out there can get a special 45% off an annual subscription to Super Sofa for the first year by heading over to sofahq.com slash clockwise. That's sofahq.com slash clockwise, S-O-F-A-H-Q.com slash clockwise to get 45% off an annual subscription to Super Sofa. Our thanks to Sofa for their support of Clockwise and of course, all of Relay FM. All right, we are back from the break, and that means it's time for Dan's topic. So Apple has finally released Final Cut Pro and Logic Pro for iPadOS. I'm curious, I think many of us work with audio or video in many of our workflows. Does this change how you do that in any way? Does it make the iPad a more viable platform for those who work in media? I'm curious about what your experiences with these are and where you see them going. Jeremy? I don't do professional video editing, so this makes no difference to my life. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, I think it is very good to have professional apps on the iPad. I, like a lot of people, probably tried for about a year there to think, oh, could I, could I do everything on an iPad instead of a Mac? And the answer was always no. And I feel like it's still no, but if I were in the field and wanted to have a really light setup, I guess it'd be fun to have the option to run on the iPad. I'm not sure if that is a big chunk of video editors, if I'm honest, but I don't know. You guys are more in the industry. You're all, you're all uh, more, more doing video stuff. So, Micah, what about you? What, what's this mean for you? 
So I'll be clear, I have downloaded both Final Cut and Logic uh, to the iPad specifically for the reason that I'm going to be talking about them on my show. But outside of that, I don't see myself using uh, either of these tools too often on the iPad. So it doesn't really change my workflow. I use Audition to edit a podcast in the rare uh, instance where I need to these days. And uh, I do, Final Cut is still the tool that I use to edit video, but I just very very rarely edit video. And I'm very happy about that. So yeah, um, I'm glad they're there. I am curious to continue to hear how people are making use of them. But as Jeremy, I think you said, I would not be surprised if that is not the way that most video editors are working just with an iPad on their desk or whatever. Um, Abrar, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I think the biggest thing here is the fact that iPads have been slowly morphing into lesser versions of MacBooks for a while now. And this mm-hmm. is kind of another really big step for them. And uh, there are rumors about touchscreen MacBooks eventually coming out. But in the meantime, this is kind of a perfect opportunity for Apple to tap into the fact that like, here's one more thing that you can do on an iPad um, that can kind of turn it into a little more portable version of, of a MacBook. So it makes sense for them to do this. And I think a lot of people are really excited about it. I'm, I'm curious to see if, if uh, the people on our team who's, you know, who are you know much more well versed in in editing uh, content? What they'll feel about this as they use it a bit more as well. But um, but I think it's it's interesting that um, even with the rumors looming about a touchscreen Mac, that this is something they're continuing to build up the iPad as as still a, a miniature version of of a MacBook as well. I download both. I haven't had a chance to play with Final Cut Pro yet. I don't really do a lot of video editing. It's more of a hobby for me, and that's one place I do think that the having the iPad version is valuable because with the subscription pricing model, I often have a thing where it's like, oh, I need to do a project. If I can pay five bucks a month and get most of the features uh, or, or you know do well enough putting a project together and the things I do are not very complicated, um, then the iPad might be a better opportunity for that. I'm a little more hesitant with Logic. From all accounts, the music production side of it is really great. Uh, and there's a lot that you can do with it. As somebody who works with podcast audio a lot, it is not well suited to that. I mean, Logic on the Mac has never been expressly designed for that. And it shows in many of the ways um, that it's set up. Uh, I only use a fraction of the features because what I'm doing is very different than somebody who's producing music. Uh, and unfortunately, the the iPad version doesn't even go so far as that in terms of its concessions. Like I ran into a problem right off the bat when I tried to import one of my podcast project files. And it's like, oh, there's there, you can't import a project that uses a time-based ruler. And I was like... But but that's like everything I do it uses a time based ruler, obviously, because I'm, I'm I'm recording a thirty minute podcast. I need to know how long the podcast is. So that was kind of a non starter for me, which was a bummer. There are plenty of alternatives out there if I wanted to, you know, uh, edit on the iPad. Uh, obviously, you, you folks mentioned uh, video stuff on the iPhone. Uh, Ferrite uh, is a really popular podcast focused audio editor on the iPad, and I think it's interesting to see that Apple has either decided they don't need to compete with that. Or it's just not the market they're looking for. Um, so it is interesting. I'm glad these apps are here and it shows a commitment to the platform. Abrar, as you were saying, in terms of like building it up a little bit to rival the Mac. But for my personal workflows, I'm afraid these things are just not, not things I'm going to be using that often. But I'm glad they exist. So thank you all for your thoughts on that. Let's go to our final topic, which comes from Jeremy. Well, to celebrate the greatest episode of Clockwise ever, I'd like to know, uh, what is the last time some kind of technology blew you away? And uh, what was that? Micah? 
Ooh, so years ago, um, I remember I worked near a university um, as a journalist and the um, architecture department uh, reached out and said that they had a demo that they wanted to show us. So we brought our cameras over and they strapped an Oculus to my head and they said, um, we've been scanning this museum um, and have created a 3D model of the museum even though it was super cool and I was blown away in the sense that I'd never tried out VR before and I thought it was amazing in that sense, but it also blew me away in the sense that they had me outside of the museum and then somebody who was controlling the thing hit the forward key on the keyboard and drug my body through the the path in front of the museum, <laughs> through the wall, into the inside of the museum. And I about fell over. I, it just <laughs> completely caught me off guard. My body, my brain did not know why I was moving, but my body didn't feel the movement. And I was ready to just like throw up right there. Um, so I, I remember saying, you know, whoa, and almost falling over. And I said, can we please give me a warning before you do that again? Because I don't think I can handle that a second time without realizing uh, that it's about to happen. Um, so yeah, I was both blown away and blown away uh, by virtual reality when I first tried it. Now it, it feels a little bit, um, I don't know, not not as not as blown away as it once was. Uh, Brar, what about you? I honestly think the um, like foldable smartphones still blow my mind. The fact that you can have a touchscreen on a device and then like fold it and unfold it and the crease isn't too obvious. I I really don't understand the mechanics of it. And I think it's incredibly fascinating. And I'm really excited to see whether this becomes more ubiquitous and whether it's just going to become the norm and we're just going to like not think about it the way that we don't really think about a lot of functionality on our smartphones right now. Um, but that's really the, the thing that I think is, is currently, um, taking over the tech space that that continues to blow me away. Um, and uh, really curious to see if, you know, the likes of Apple take it on and, and what they do with it. Uh, the VR one came to mind for me too. Years ago, I, I went to, my friend worked at a company that did uh, VR games that you played while being on an exercise bike. Uh, and it was oh. wild, a wild experience. Um, but the thing that I actually came to mind was a little subtler and it's actually fairly recent. Uh, it's iOS 15's live text feature which is the ability to basically just copy any text out of an image. To me, that just blew my mind. And I think it's because of having used computers for so long, images were images and text were text. And like, yeah, you might have a thing like a PDF, which kind of sort of bridges that divide a little bit. But like, there was always a frustration with like, ah, oh, I took a picture of a thing, um, like a serial number or something. And man, uh, now I've got to laboriously type it out, squinting at my phone. And now you can just select that. It's just text like everything else. And the fact that it can recognize that and figure it out and let you interact with it is just it broke down barriers in my mind that have been there for 20 or 30 years <laughs> because these things were so immutably immutably separated um so i i and now i mean it can do that with video as well now i believe um i've just find that it, it is it feels like a logical leap but at the same time like i said it's just something that's so antithetical to the way i always viewed uh text in video and in images that i i was amazed that it it, it sort of was like oh all these preconceived notions i had throw those right out the window because now we can do this uh and i i wonder what is next <laughs> jeremy why don't you wrap this up for us 
Yeah, that's I, I love the live text. What, what an amazing, uh, that is so useful. Uh, mine is not useful at all, but it did impress me just the leaps and bounds that things like uh, video filters in particular on TikTok have come in the last year. There's obviously a lot of problematic stuff in relation to beauty filters and when they're on by default, all this sort of thing. But if you haven't used some of these new filters, like I'm like messing with one right now, this bold glamour one, and I have no business being this glamorous while recording <laughs> clockwise at two in the morning. Like, <laughs> this is it. It's in real time, right? You know, you're, you can touch your face, you can do everything. And somehow you're looking at yourself and it's only subtly different, but the way that these can just modify you in real time is kind of that also like the live text hurts your head, Dan. This hurts my head that I can be looking at me and I can't make it break. I just look like a different human that, that shouldn't be here doing this right now. I should be on the catwalk right now. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. Uh, that, that's, yeah, I found that very, very interesting and, and something to, to look out for in future years. All right. With that, we have reached the end of the show topics. Uh, we'll have just enough time for a bonus topic momentarily. But first, we're going to take a quick break so Dan can tell us about our next sponsor. That's right. This episode of Clockwise brought to you by Factor. Spring is here, and who doesn't want wholesome and convenient meals to energize you for warmer, more active days and keep you on track to for reaching your goals? Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit and can help you fuel up fast with ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and tackle everything on your to-do list. If you're too busy to cook this May, you can skip the trip to the grocery store and skip the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up too. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy, then get back outside and soak up the warmer weather. Factor offers delicious flavor-packed options on the menu each week to fit a variety of lifestyles, including keto, calorie smart, which are around or less than 550 calories per serving, vegan and veggie, which you have the option to add a protein to on selected meals, and protein plus, which have 30 grams of protein or more per serving. And because they're prepared by chefs and approved dietitians, each meal has everything you need. With more than 34 weekly options, there's always something new to try. Plus, you can choose from more than 45 add-ons, including breakfast items like apple cinnamon pancakes, bacon and cheddar egg bites, and potato bacon and egg breakfast skillet, plus cold-pressed juices, shakes, and smoothies. And if you're looking to pack in more protein, you can add on filling options like a salmon filet or chicken wings to your factor meals. Factor meals are ready faster than restaurant delivery in just two minutes. Plus, it's more budget-friendly than takeout. And you can rest assured that you're making a sustainable choice because Factor offset 100% of their delivery emissions to your door, source 100% renewable electricity for their production sites and offices, and feature sustainably sourced seafood in their meals. Uh, I was quite surprised because when I got to Factor stuff, they sent me all these smoothies. I'm not usually a smoothie person, but I was pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed them. Uh, I actually had my wife stole a few of these meals, too, because she she goes to work every day in the office still and has to bring meals in. And she said these are way better than packing her own lunch, far more convenient. And they tasted pretty great too. So I think there was particularly like a peanut noodle bowl that she was really a fan of. So uh, they taste good and they're convenient, which is two marks in my book. This may get factor and enjoy clean eating without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh flavor packed meals delivered to your door, ready in just two minutes. No prep, no mess. Head to factormeals.com slash clockwise50 and use code clockwise50 to get 50% off your first box. That's code clockwise50 at factormeals.com slash clockwise50 to get 50% off your first box. Our thanks to Factor for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right, back from the break. And that means it's time for the bonus topic. Occasionally, I like to throw in a weird one, and that's what today's bonus topic is. <clears throat> if you could safely eat any inedible object, 
What inedible object would you eat? <laughs> Abrar, we'll start with you. I've been waiting for somebody to ask me this question. So thank you for asking. Um, (laughs) You know, those scented markers. Um, I just feel like it's such an obvious choice because they smell delicious. So clearly they have to taste delicious. Um, I know that's not true, but I like to believe it is. And particularly the one that smells like marshmallows and the one that smells like blueberries. Those would be my top two picks. Um, (laughs) How about you, Dan? Uh, I play There's a board game. I played a few times called wingspan where you collect, birds and they have these little plastic eggs and they look they're like kind of pastel pastel colored and they look like the cadbury mini eggs so i always just want to grab they're so pleasing to grab a handful of i just want to grab a handful and just chew on them but i don't want to break my teeth (laughs) jeremy um Micah, what's wrong with you? <laughs> it's my, my, I, I, there's no, I don't want to eat anything inedible. They're inedible for a reason. I, I, nothing looks tasty that wouldn't be tasty. Wood doesn't look tasty. Mm. Okay, uh, plastic see, doesn't look tasty. There's something None wrong this with makes you. Any sense yeah, to me. I agree. There's you're the only one. You. You're the odd one out. Just admit you're I'm a weirdo all... like the rest of us. <laughs> Fine. I'll, I'll eat leaves. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Leave, well, leaves are edible. Oh, no. Well, I'm, yeah uh pass <laughs> all right that's fine he's gonna eat his bus broken pass. my brain um i would eat dice like dice to play <laughs> dnd with. oh that's better i think they all look very edible and scrumptious and if they were little jellies oh wouldn't that be so fun uh, alas they are not mm. little jellies and this question hungry my God. <laughs> that's what i aim to do Folks, if you would like to get ad-free episodes with an extra overtime topic every week, that's right, you get another topic. You can become a member of Clockwise. Just go to Relay.fm slash Clockwise and sign up for $5 a month or $50 a year, and you will help support the show. In this week's overtime topic, we discuss Photoshop's upcoming AI features. And with that, we have reached the end of this episode of Clockwise. All that is left is to thank our fantastic guests, Abrar Alhiti, an excellent first time on the show. And of course, we would love to have you back on in the future. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. I, I look forward to the next one. And Jeremy Bird, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I'm just getting word that this was, in fact, the best episode of Clockwise ever. It's <laughs> yes. just coming. Fresh, fresh news here. Breaking news. <laughs> it's good to confirm. Excellent. Uh, and Micah will be back next week. But until then, we remind everybody listening out there, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye.